Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Hey, we are going to be concluding a three-part series today on moving mountains. And so if you've got your Bible, it's Mark chapter 11, as well as James chapter 1. This particular New Year's Day, dealing with the tallest peaks, the tallest peaks. Mark chapter 11, James chapter 1. Now, I hope you all enjoyed your night last night with family and friends and welcoming in the new year. Uh, We want to say how grateful we are that uh, we were able to celebrate with you last night at 7 o'clock. And those of you who missed it, I want to encourage you, whether Thursday or last night, to pick up online part one and part two of Moving Mountains. Now, if you don't have a Bible, there is one in the seat back pocket. And we've been noticing that many of those Bibles are no longer there. So if you don't see one in the seat back pocket, take a look at the person sitting next to you and ask them to bring it back. Now, if you don't have a Bible, for real, for reals, let it be our gift to you. You are welcome to have that Bible. When you get one on your own, bring ours back. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to pray before I go further. Father, we're so thankful that today we get to stop and celebrate time with you. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You live in a different dimension. You live above time because you created it. And though we can't even fathom what eternity is, one day we shall know just as we are known. And so, Lord, I pray that as we spend time, the time that you've given us wisely, especially now here in your word, that we would walk with the time that you give us in 2023 in a measure and a manner to honor you. Help us to do that in Jesus' name. There are three mountain peaks in our world that are over 28,000 feet. I'm sure you know the most famous in Nepal. It's Mount Everest, 29,029 feet. How they measure it, I have no idea. (laughs) Then there's K2, another peak in Pakistan, just under 29,000 feet, 28,251 feet. It's a tall mountain. And then this third mountain, I've been practicing it now for about three days, so I'm going to try to get it out. Ken Chenjunga. And if you can speak tongues and interpret it, go ahead and let me know. In the Himalayas there, it's just under K2, 28,169 feet. Well, depending on your perspective, these mountains could be over or 
underwhelming. Let me explain. From an earthly point of view, they're so overwhelming, it would take until the 1950s before mountaineers would be able to reach the peaks. Fear, doubt, and the unforgiveness of the terrain stopped mountaineers for years to get up to the top of those peaks. But from a heavenly perspective, they're a little underwhelming. These mountains are very underwhelming when you have a view from heaven. Because the view from heaven, you have to remember that Jesus easily placed them there by the word of his mouth, and he can easily move them with the word of his mouth again. Different perspective. Turn with me to Mark chapter 11. Let's pick pick it up again in verse 20. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look. The fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Some of you might be going, now we've read this three times. I heard a story of a friend of mine who, from a friend of mine who told me that they had just hired a new pastor. And so he got up and he asked the uh, people to turn in their Bibles to John chapter 13. And he read a new commandment I give you to love one another. The second Sunday he got up and he asked the people again to turn to John chapter 13, and he preached the same exact sermon. On the third Sunday, he got up again and asked the people to turn to John chapter 13. He preached the same sermon three Sundays in a row. Finally, the elders got together thinking maybe they made a mistake. We hired the wrong guy. So they decided on the fourth Sunday that if he preached the same sermon, that he, that they would go ahead and talk to him. Well, as you know, John chapter 13, he preached the same sermon the fourth Sunday in a row. Well, the elders had a meeting. Pastor so-and-so, could you please meet with us in the love room? (laughs) We're going to love on you just a little bit. And they asked him, do you have any other sermons? Do you know that you've preached the same sermon over and over and over again? pastor looked with a smile and said, when you get the first one, I'll move to the second. (laughs) Verse 22. So Jesus answered to them and said, read this with me, have faith in God. Oh, there's a message that we've been purposing to get across now third time in a row. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Look again, if you would, there in verse 23, for assuredly. Let me tell you what Jesus is saying. He's saying, what I'm saying, I am saying with absolute confidence. Think of the perspective of Jesus when it comes to moving mountains. I put them there and I can move them. 
Think of the perspective when he says, assuredly. It's like my mom saying, I brought you in, I can take you out. I don't know if we can say that these days. Jesus is speaking with absolute confidence. It's like when I am teaching kids how to swim, and I tell them, you will swim at the end of five lessons. No, I won't. And they just hit me in the face, and they scratch out my eyes, and they do everything in absolute fear because they don't believe what I'm telling them. And quite often, when we hear that we can move mountains, we are scratching out the eyes of Jesus when he's telling us, no, really, you can swim. Then he says, I say to you. So he speaks with absolute confidence, and then he reminds them, I need to remind you who's talking to you. It's me, the creator of the universe. I need to remind you, and we need to recognize who's giving us this moving mountains information. Think of the perspective of Jesus who formed the earth by his word. He's now giving a geography lesson about the mountains he created. He's eternal. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He is omniscient, all-knowing. It is God Almighty speaking. He's an expert on the subject of moving mountains. And his subject is about faith. Faith. Mountains are just the illustration. And here is Jesus, the model of faith, and he's giving us an explanation on how to move the mountains in our lives. And he does it with absolute confidence. Now, think of what we know today about tectonic plates as compared to what they knew in the first century. Think about what we know about earthquakes And what we still don't know that's under the earth, that Jesus is completely, fully, has a master's PhD degree, uh, knows more than we could ever know because he wrote the book on mountains. See, moving mountains is simply a matter of speaking it into an existence as far as his perspective is concerned. And just because you don't have this kind of faith and you might be scratching and screaming doesn't make your lack of knowledge the truth. It's like saying, I don't know quantum physics, and I don't. Therefore, it is not true because I don't know. Well, that makes me all-knowing, and everybody knows that's not true. So just because I don't live in the moving mountains kind of faith doesn't mean it doesn't exist, and it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist today. See, unfortunately, the very things that inhibited mountaineers to get up those peaks until the 1950s are the very same things that Jesus is letting us know will inhibit us from moving mountains as well. You see, the fear... The fear that says it can't be done. The doubt that says it's just not possible because I tried all of 2022. The unforgiving terrain that uh, prohibits forward movement due to the personal unpreparedness of the mountaineer, not the mountain. See, as we walk into a new year to move mountains... And that's the point of this three-part series. Let's make sure to remove the tallest peaks in our own lives so that we can see the other ranges that need to be moved. 
Let's take a look. Go with me to Mark chapter 11. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. Stop there. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. Now we need to keep this saying of Jesus in context. You see, Jesus has just spoke a curse to a tree. And the very next day, when the disciples are walking by this tree, the tree withered up on its own. It just withered up because Jesus said, let no fruit, no one ever eat fruit from you again. There's the context. The tree was not producing fruit, so Jesus got rid of that tree. You see, the spiritual lesson that Jesus is trying to get across is not gaining worldly things like, I'm going to say to that Cadillac, be mine. I'm going to say to that house on the beach, be mine. Oh, no, no, no. He's not talking about gaining worldly things. The context is getting rid of fruitless things that are in your lives that you feel you just can't get rid of. I'll never forget... When I spoke to, I was discipling a guy, and he was an avid smoker. And he had come to Christ, and he was struggling with smoking. And I was sitting down with him, and I said to him, I said, okay, um, let's, let's talk about smoking. And he says to me, I don't have a problem with it. I go, you don't. Great. Quit now. As soon as I said it, he broke out in a profuse sweat I mean, his shirt got wet. He just couldn't believe that I was, I was, I was like, okay, all I want you to do is quit right now. That's it. Since it doesn't have any control over you at all. He was so overwhelmed, so overwhelmed. He said, I think our time today is done. <laughs> Getting rid of mountainous things in our life it can produce a lot of fear. Think of the statement itself. At the beginning of the series, I said, let's go meet at Saddleback Mountain and let's stand at the bottom of it in front of a group of people and let's say, Saddleback, be removed. I mean, the very thought of standing in front of people and saying out loud to a mountain, be removed, I mean, this begins to make me sweat profusely. I would be embarrassed if it doesn't move. I would be terrified if it doesn't do anything, and I'm scared to say that in front of a bunch of people. I'll say it in my heart. I'll say it under my breath. Thank you very much. I'll just say, I just pray, Lord Jesus, that that mountain would be removed. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He says, say it and say it out loud for everyone to hear. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to count to three, okay? I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three, I want you out loud to say the sin mountain that needs to be moved in your life. Just say it out loud. Ready? One, two, stop. Some of you went, I don't think I can say that in church. Do you really want me? Some of you were like, okay, time to leave, honey. We got to go. Did you sense the fear in the room? You want me to announce my mountainous sin in front of everyone? This is the fear that I'm talking about. You see, usually 
fruitless activity in our lives have become just a part of who we are. We begin to ask ourselves the question, well, what will I do with my time if I don't do that anymore? How can I live without it? I, I just don't know another way. I mean, you want me to come home and stop watching TV when I get home from work and actually spend time reading my Bible or maybe spend time with my family? I mean, we watch TV together. It's the way that we cope with each other. We don't have to look at each other. We just look at the TV. We laugh, we cry, we watch Hallmark, and then we go to bed. But we never talk. We never invest spiritual things. Okay, I'm breaking a sweat. Now you want me to talk about Jesus with my kids? Moving mountains. You see, the only way to deal with fear is to take a step of faith. To put the word of God into practice. To actually say the word of God out loud in our lives. To say it out loud in our lives. That's what Jesus is talking about. Listen to this. It's 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There's no fear in love. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. You see, we have to understand something. What he is telling us to do there in verse 18 is to love out loud. That is how we say to the mountain. We choose to love out loud. The mountain of fear in our life is moved when we love out loud. Now, John, I'll read it for you. It's 1 John chapter 4. I'll actually read it for you. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, he describes what perfected love is. No one has ever seen God at any time. There's faith. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. You see, perfected love is the love of God expressing itself in our love to each other. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, the Bible says, For in Christ Jesus there's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. The evidence of great faith is great love. That moves mountains. And if I've got fear in my life, the best way for me to deal with that fear is to put the love of God in action in my life and purpose to be loving in that moment instead of being fearful in that moment. Perfect love casts out fear. So if you're afraid of the relationship with your wife, love her. If you're afraid of your 17-year-old child, love him. If you're afraid of the people at work, love them. Love out loud and watch how fear will be cast out from your life. Put the Word of God, the loving Word of God, into action in your life. The next part of Scripture in Mark chapter 11 is, and does not doubt in his heart. Doesn't doubt in his heart. There's the next peak to conquer. Fear was the first peak. Now doubt is the second uh, peak to conquer. You see, doubt 
is a serious spiritual condition. It's a spiritual condition of the heart because it originates from the father of lies. Take a look at the screen. It's Isaiah chapter 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. Speaking of Satan. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Satan doubted the power of God. He doubted it so much that God reveals to us what was happening in his heart. I can bring you down. I don't think you're as powerful as you say that you are. Doubt originates from the pit of hell. Doubt is a lie from the enemy that attacks the truth of God's word. We see it in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, after Satan is cast out of heaven, he goes straight to humanity. The very first thing that he does with temptation is bring doubt. Take a look at Genesis chapter 3 on the screen. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the women, now, woman, now there's my first problem. There's my first problem. If a snake walks up to you and speaks to you, like, that should be an indication something is wrong with this picture, okay? It's like, have you ever looked inside of a snake's mouth? Right? Eve. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Look how he's planting doubt in the heart of Eve. And the woman said to the servant, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it. Very clear. No room for a lack of clarity, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, the woman, listen to the doubt, You will not surely die. What God said is not really true. Doubt is spiritual attack. And it is a mountain peak that needs to be moved in our lives. You see, the actual word means to make a distinction. In other words, you're at odds with yourself. You're saying one thing, but you don't believe it in your heart. It's like singing a song about the mighty power of God, but believing, is it possible for your life? It's saying amen loudly to the truth of God's word, but uncertain whether or not it can be done or if it should be done. Doubt is the single greatest cause for not being able to see the fulfillment of God's promises in your life. Turn with me to James chapter 1. I want you to see this truth. James chapter 1. This is why we spent so much time, so much time speaking about the power of the Almighty God that is yesterday, today, and forever. Because the enemy's greatest attack against your spiritual life is doubt. It's James chapter 1. I'll pick it up in verse 6. 
But let him ask in faith, speaking about asking for wisdom in the midst of trials. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. It's a spiritual storm. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded. In other words, he's a doubter. And he's unstable in all his ways. God promises to give wisdom if we ask him so that we can move mountains in our trials. He promises it. Doubt causes a tumultual storm to rise in our heart. Is it true? Is it true for me? Can I really do this? I don't think I can quit smoking. I mean, I've been doing it for so long. It's just a part of my life. I've been living with my girlfriend for like ever. I mean, it's just who we are. It's just what we do. What do you mean get married? It's like, I don't know if we do that. Can, I mean, are you supposed to do that in the state of California? I mean, I don't know. Like, what do you do? It's just who I am. I mean, that's a huge mountain for me. And what happens is, is the truth of God good for me? Did God really say? You think this sin will really affect you? And we know the truth, but we're struggling to apply the truth to our lives. Do you remember Peter? He had this issue. Hey, Jesus, if that's you, ask me to come out on the water and walk on it with you. He believed it. He believed. Now, let's give Peter some credit. Do you know what it was to step out of that boat? I mean, think about this for just a moment. Nobody had walked on water to this point that we know of in the world's history. And here's Peter. Okay, here I go. I mean, this was amazing faith. But when the storm of doubt, and he looked at the storm of doubt, what happens? He sank. Jesus speaks to him in Matthew chapter 14. You'll see it on the screen. Matthew 14, verse 31. And immediately, when Peter screamed, help. Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? You see, like Peter, when we are drowning in doubt, there is only one word we can say to that mountain. Help. That's the only word that God has given us. Help. Do you remember the epileptic boy? And the father went to the disciples and asked the disciples to help him. They couldn't help. They were powerless. So they ended up in a theological debate with the Pharisees. And I often find that's what people do. When they lack power, they go into theological debates. That's what they do. They don't have the power of God moving through them. They just want to debate the word of God. And so they are debating. And here's this poor kid on the ground doing this whole thing. Okay? Just imagine the scene. Well, I believe the Bible says this, and I believe the Bible says this. And the poor kid's going, on the ground. Jesus comes down in the scene. The dad walks up to Jesus and goes, I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't do anything. Can you do something? The dad doubted because of the faithlessness of the disciples. Do you realize our doubt affects unbelievers? And so... That Jesus looks at the dad and says, all things are possible to him who believes. And the father looked at him with the best prayer I believe in the Bible. I believe. Help my unbelief. 
You see, when we doubt, the word that God has given us to say to the mountain is to look up into heaven and say, help. It's one word, easy to memorize. It's a good scripture verse. Help. There's one other peak that we need to climb. One other peak. It's it's Mark chapter 11, if you turn back there with me, and here's where we close. Mark chapter 11, we'll pick it up there in verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, if you've ever gone to Israel, you will still see this in practice today. The Jews will walk up to the western wall. They will stand in prayer. It's a Mediterranean way to pray. And they will rock back and forth in front of the western wall. And they believe this stance in prayer and the rocking is loving the Lord your God with all your strength. That while you're in prayer, you are rocking, so you're using your strength. So very legalistic, but that's what they believe. So when you stand in prayer, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Now what does forgiveness have to do with faith? That your Father, key word, in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you don't forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. In other words, he won't hear you. You see, I believe forgiveness is probably one of the biggest mountain peaks in our lives to move. It's probably the Mount Everest because we have to deal with humanity another year. Forgiveness. And just like mountaineers, unforgiving terrain makes moving mountains in our lives impossible if we don't prepare properly. But if you put on the right clothes, you can get through any weather. If you have the right equipment, you can climb any peak. You can make it. It's been proven. So let's evaluate this just for a moment. You see, when Jesus taught us to pray, do you remember the two words that he taught us to pray? Say it with me. Our Father. Guess what? That makes you family to me. Did you hear it? I'm in your family. Don't be embarrassed. I'm not embarrassed of you. Our Father. I don't know if you know this, but we're part of a large family. We're part of a large family. Faith in God and fellowship with the family go hand in hand in our Father's view. Faith in God and fellowship with our family go hand in hand. I have nine kids. And when they were younger, there was a problem at any given moment at my house. One time, I had two kids that fought all the time. I made them hold hands all day long. All day. They had to hold hands all day. And when they would come and they would bicker and they would be in front of me, I would send them to their room, let them resolve their problem before they came to the dad. I didn't want to hear the bicker. I didn't want to hear the problem. You created the problem. 
You resolve the problem, and then you can come into the presence of the Father. Then I'll listen to you when you've resolved your differences. It's an incredible parenting technique that God is giving us. See, unforgiveness is sin. Because we have been forgiven by God, he has said to us, forgive as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. And the Bible is very clear in Psalm 66, verse 18. If we regard sin, iniquity in our heart, God will not hear us. He won't hear us. So if we're going to move mountains, we've got to clothe ourselves with humility and forgiveness and say to that mountain, whatever it takes to reconcile with your family. Jesus makes it clear in Matthew 5. In Matthew chapter 5, he says this, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And so what do I say to that mountain? Maybe you say, I'm sorry. Maybe you say, I forgive you. Maybe you say, I, let's all say it together. I was wrong. Say, I was wrong. It even sounds horrible. But unforgiveness, doubt, and fear are three of the first mountain peaks that we need to remove. And if they don't hear you when you go, God's given us Matthew 18. Take someone with you and pursue forgiveness with everything you've got. You see, you can't get through unforgiving terrain without being properly prepared. In the same way, you won't be able to move mountains in your life if you're not prepared to deal with the unforgiving terrain in your own heart. Immovable mountains in your life may be reminders that you've got some family business to deal with. So if you haven't been able to give up smoking, if you're still living with your girlfriend, if there are things in your life that you know are dishonoring God, you may need to move the mountain of fear. You may need to move the mountain of doubt. You may need to move the mountain of unforgiveness. And then you will be able to see the unseen. And you'll watch other mountains move in your life. 2023, as a church, we're moving mountains. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.